0: welcome to episode 10 of the australian athletic podcast today we have a guy whose resume definitely makes me feel like i really need to get and do a little bit more with my life but we have daniel kirk so he is a ssc coach a mentor a former sanfl athlete a para athlete and also an aspiring politician (laughs) daniel No, not an aspiring politician. That was
1: that was some time ago, just trying to be a responsible citizen. But um, absolutely, yeah, um, thanks for having us. Um, it's great to sort of connect and, and support other people within the industry. And you and I have kind of, uh, I guess, you know, bounced a few, few times over the course of the last few years as we've been trying to build businesses. And it's just great to share a, a conversation together.
0: Yeah. You were similar around the time, 2017, 2018, when you and Ben started? Uh, I think... Was it 20, 2019,
1: maybe? 2019. Um, yeah, so like, like coming out of 2018 and 2019, I think, was when we kicked off. Um, I'd been running my own business for, I don't know, maybe a decade before that as, after coming out of uni. Um, and, yeah, I guess, I guess it was the right time. Like, I, I dabbled in a few other sort of startup type things outside of what I was doing myself and I was teaching a bit. But as a, as a solo operator and, and someone that was sort of hadn't quite found their place in the industry again post- Um injury in terms of the disability that I now have with my ankle, um, it was just perfect timing. Like I met um, you know Ben and uh, Todd, who was was part of um things at the time, and and it was just a discussion around this sort of vision for how how we could do things and how we could do it differently, and um and it's it's a you know, I guess there was a lot of um. It was congruent with a lot of ideas I had in the past um, and not sort of um, had the opportunity to follow through on like uh, the things that I wanted to do with other people and to grow stuff. And when I, you know, these guys spoke about it and I was like, this, this sounds cool. This sounds like something I want to do. And, and so Nexa was born out of that. And um, yeah, it's been great. Todd obviously had to move back to New Zealand for family reasons, but Ben and I have sort of
0: carried on and, and tried to grow the team and and yeah, grow, grow the vision. Yep. If we can talk about that, most of us start off with a sporting background, injury background, whatever it may be. What happened to your ankle?
1: Yeah, so um, you mentioned like sporting career previously. So I had a couple of years in the VFL and, um, and eight in the SNFL and um, was by no means done. Like I was actually um, just about to move clubs at the end of the season and... Uh, Second last game of the season, playing for Glenelg against Norwood. Three minutes into the game at the Bay Oval and um, let out for a mark. Like, you know, it landed awkwardly, like, it's compressed and jarred the ankle or or sheared the ankle. Um, Look, it it felt violent, but it didn't feel career-ending. And, you know, being the sports scientist then, went back to the drawing board, okay, rehab, recovery, like, try and settle it down, can I play again this season? Well, that didn't end up happening. Okay, I'm moving clubs. I need to get it right. Um, spent, you know, some time trying to do that, and then it just sort of kept giving and collapsing on me a little bit. And it was clear there was something that, that needed an intervention. Um, so I went down that surgery path, followed the advice of, um, you know, club doc and surgeon and had, had the first surgery of six. Um, oh, shit. And look, it, the first one probably went okay. Um, you know, I had some reservations about the surgeon just in terms of, you know, not necessarily an open dialogue and, um, and I probably mistook, um, I'm going to say arrogance for confidence. Um, that, you know, and, um, like I said, the first surgery wasn't too bad, but we got 10 weeks post and, um, and things weren't going well, it, it sort of regressed. And at that point there was a pretty pivotal moment when we had a discussion about whether we do normal surgery or wait. Um, you know in hindsight we, we went ahead with it which was the wrong decision um i was relying on that advice and um and i, I think it was incorrect um
0: what was the first percent what was the actual issue that they thought it was at uh those?
1: look i don't think they really knew like it was there was obviously a little bit of you know some damage to the cartilage and some loose bodies and all that sort of stuff so the idea was to go in there clean it up and and sort of hopefully that would resolve the issues and um that's what i was kind of led to believe i guess and Um, But you know, you can imagine like in our industry, like we are so diligent with recovery and and rehabilitation and stuff. So like, you know, I gave it every chance I could, but I think once I had that second out of three surgeries with that surgeon, uh, the the second and third ones, it was a significant decline in function post each of them. And um, and it's hard to tell that until you get past that initial kind of like inflammatory phase post surgery. Um, and so, yeah, three surgeries in 20 weeks was, was not good. Um, it, in hindsight, it's clearly where the issues really arose for me that you know, has prevented me getting back to, to able-bodied function. So um, we had nine months in between that. I buried myself in journal articles and research and contacted surgeons overseas and had all the best advice but couldn't afford it. Um, and so then went and um, tried to source the same type of intervention in Australia where we used stem cell assisted grafts and external fixators and all of these kind of fancy and innovative ways of trying to regenerate a joint um, but unfortunately um, despite all that it was, it was probably too far gone so yeah yeah so you had
0: a few more surgeries after
1: this yeah so I had uh, three with the second surgeon um, all designed to kind of regenerate the, the joint so yep. when you talk about surgeries um, first of all it, it should be your last resort which yep. um, you know and the w- the way that I played out I thought it was th- at least the first one was justified um, beyond that I think you know sort of once you start down that path you kind of um, relying on people to sort of advise you what's
0: what what you need and they're supposed to be the experts but um, as you said you, you want to. You have that confidence in a professional to deliver that service and yeah. you almost become naive to their advice. Yeah, look, um, it, it's a tricky one. Like, I tried to have those those conversations.
1: Like, I obviously you know my anatomy and, and whatever, so we were trying to discuss that. And I just felt like it was always kind of, I don't know, just dismissed a little bit. So there was a little bit of a gut feel, like, oh, you know, is this the right guy? But my, my sports docs were saying that he was and... Um, I did, yeah I just I don't know mate like you know I, I'm, I'm where I am now and, um, I, I, I 20, 20. and high size 2020 yeah exactly right so but the, the second surgeon was terrific like we, we you know you talk about surgery like I said and you've got kind of clean ups are kind of what you call joint destructive like or, or the, um, you're going in there to remove something you're not yeah. going in there to regenerate so you know i would not have gone back for any further surgeries with the second surgeon unless without that intention that we need to regenerate this joint we need yep. to do things that are going to help um you know uh, re- not rebuild it because there's a misconception about what that is but like like i said using stem cells and grafts and um and the, it, the fixator was designed to open the joint up and give it time to sort of heal and repair and yeah um but like as i said like it just unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't to be like it was too too far gone i guess by that point
0: so once that had completed, when did you, I guess, take up athletic competition again? Mate, it was a, it was a big gap. Um, it was two and a half years between the
1: injury and resuming sport. Uh, it's funny because there was another, another guy, um, Marty Jackson from Geelong in Victoria, and um, he and I had came into para sport at the same time. The interesting difference was I'd, I'd taken two and a half years to, I guess, cycle through that acceptance, kind of like rebuild, understand and, and move on kind of phase. He had rang Paralympics Australia from the hospital bed after his injury on uh, uh, playing American footy. Someone had gone sideways through his knee, and he's like, "Hey, I'm Marty Jackson, and um, you know, I'm looking into para sport, and um, you know, I think I might be classified as this, and you know, what can I do?" and And as they asked a bit more about the injury, I was like, yeah, I'm in the hospital bed. And they're like, don't you think that's a bit early? And he's like, no, I know my body. (laughs) So, you know, we talk about taking me two and a half years. It's taking this guy a couple of days and and he knew what he wanted and and where he was going from there.
0: um, We're born for competition. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Everyone's got a different journey, man. And and being able to share that with other
0: people um, has been phenomenal. And that's the... Ugh. aside from the physical battles you would have had to have some mental battles throughout that yeah, years. it just doesn't happen two and a half years you you're not being able to do what you've done your whole life yeah it was it was pretty brutal um i had i
1: was fortunate like at 29 years of age like i i had a pretty strong support network luckily like um you know i, I i've got some closer friends who were who really stood up for me and um, you know they take me to the gym and stuff and load my bars and unload my bars and and you know and this even when I had an external fixator on my leg just because you know we need that we need to to nourish and to feel you know a sense of worth and purpose and and to you know invest in our in our body. Um, but there yeah there was definitely times like at twenty nine and and you can't walk without pain. Um, you can barely walk at all. You can't do your job. You've lost all your enthusiasm for for your profession and and what you do and you, you the self-doubt is is enormous like you're like you know who's gonna want like, i don't even think i would met kim by that point like i met her after the third surgery so um you know who's gonna want you and like you know like what use you're gonna be as a father and like you know all these life things that are still yet to come for it's me it's not just man. about sport anymore yeah it's not man it's about quality of life yeah you know, um and, and about purpose and and all of that stuff really took shape throughout that period for me. Like, So, you know, you go to schools and you, and you, you have these interactions with kids and you're trying to offer some value and share some experience. And, um, and you know, you, you often get the question, you know, um, would you, if you could go back in a time machine and you could change it, would you? And it's like, well, nah, I wouldn't. I'd love to have a functioning leg. I'd love to go play, for, like to be playing footy still or beach volleyball or any of those other things I used to love doing, but, Um, what I've learnt from this experience about um, myself and life and the value that I'm able to share with other people because of that is exponentially you know grown since since going through something like this so building
0: upon that then yeah do you think we can help athletes mentally prepare for sport absolutely it is my personal opinion as a
1: holistic coaching and education business like we we make that our focus in that you cannot compartmentalize athletes as just
0: one thing and just, just a physical being. They're not robots are they?
1: Absolutely not and if it was it would be bloody boring wouldn't it? <laughs> like
0: where's the emotion? Where's the you know? Well we saw what happened to Port on the weekend if you tell me that some mental preparation <laughs> does not come to that or what happened to Geelong yeah. you're kidding yourself yeah. otherwise they would put out the best team every single week and win. I think there's this misconception
1: about what what the mental aspect of the game is though, like you've got that kind of physical, mental, emotional um relationship, like that holistic kind of view of of people, not you know, like I say, getting away from the car compartmentalizing things and people look at some like a performance like that and they think that something is broken. And I I completely disagree. It is it is not that at all. It's it's just an area that of preparation that hasn't been addressed and what that means is like you you go to the gym and you do your two three four sessions a week whatever it might be and you go up the footy field and you do all your skill based stuff and but yeah there's nothing like that pressure cooker of of game day and it's particularly finals footy and um and it's not to say that these guys haven't done that um but you know there's a different capacity and tolerance that each individual has and when you've got 22 blokes you know or, or you know, in this case 22 blokes but could be 22 um, women as well if you're talking about AFLW running around a field like if you've got a weak link in that where where people aren't able to um you know cope with that that increased emotional state um then it's a risk like yeah. and, and things can there's be, so many
0: moving parts in so, the building.
1: absolutely there is um, and you know things can come crashing down pretty quickly and, and it can be contagious um, you know Jenny Williams is a sports psychologist from South Australia the famous Williams family from, from Port Adelaide and she talks about um, something called social loafing um, and it's that you know you go and we've all seen this like a top team plays a bottom team and they go into the game thinking it'll be alright and that you know you should get a big win here and that'll sort of push on the next week and um, and and it's, it's still a mental sort of preparation thing because you're almost expecting someone else to do it. You're thinking this is going to be the game, they're going to get me my, my stats up, like, you know, like improve my stat averages or snag a few goals. And you go away from the systems that have worked for you um, and you stop sort of trusting in each other and you, you know, you change what's been working. Um, and so, and that becomes contagious. Like, you know, if, if something doesn't go well and someone does that and then someone else does the same thing and then suddenly everyone else is it's this um, you start to have fear and doubt yeah yeah and that and that becomes contagious as well Um, I love like you know watching sport and watching the Paralympics and the Olympics because especially those like um, you know where you it's one team versus another whether that be beach volleyball or it's two versus two or whether it be you know the soccer or the hockey 11 versus 11 and um, you know the, the emotional state of those people and the way they respond to that and the way they utilize that to their advantage, I
0: just, I love that. I love, you know, understanding that and witnessing it. Back in my volleyball days, this was probably over a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> but to say so, the key that my coach always told me was find the person that you want to serve to and just target them the entire match. Yeah. once you find that weak link that does not want to receive a ball attack them attack them attack them it's
1: it's true isn't it like it's you you're trying to find a vulnerability you're trying yeah. to exploit a vulnerability and beach volleyball is absolutely it's a great example because it's two versus two you know if it's not one it's got to be the other mm-hmm. so you know and there's different opportunities to do that and one thing like um and i, I play a little bit um you know i've got great mates that are um that, that play for for australia as well and and just watching the way they do that and how powerful your emotion is in influencing the opposition, whether that be because you're targeting them or whether that because your celebrations are just so (laughs) over the top and so ecstatic that that emotion, like that becomes hard to bear on the other side of them. There, If you've got any vulnerabilities, it's gonna open them right up. Um, And I, I just love like seeing people connect with that like it's also equally feel the empathy for people on the other side of the net but also the opportunity for them once they realise that there's somewhere, something there they can be better at yeah. and,
0: and how that's going to improve their game as well so yeah it's I, I find it fascinating mm-hmm. I agree um, <laughs> sport and sporting field is a one time where you leave nothing on the table yeah. if you're going to uh, Destroy a team destroy him. There, no. you do not say, "Oh, we don't feel, we feel bad for them We're just gonna go easy on him because we already Win. That's not the time to do it. No. Sport is the one time where you literally get to embarrass the competition. Yeah, I. It's funny, like I think
1: it's the way you go about it. Like I, with with my sport, like I've always thought it's less about the opposition and more about us. Like you need to be aware of what their tendency is. You need to know their vulnerabilities. You need to know their strengths. But um, for me, like. I was never someone that got fired up. Like, oh, this is our rival. Like, you know, we, we've really got to stand up here. We've got to do something. I was like, to me, it, it's kind of like a, it's an artificial emotion. Mm-hmm. And if you have to generate that every single game, well, then you're going to be vulnerable. If, if that's the only way you can perform, what if your main purpose was just to go out there and, and put the best performance you can on the table, individually and as a team? like to be as connected as possible, to um, you know, be as well prepared as possible, to just perform to your best mm-hmm. and trust that. Like how powerful is that? Yeah. It's not dependent on anything outside of you at all. It's fully within your control. Yeah. And yeah, there's gonna be days when you're out, out skilled or out pointed or whatever, but I just think it's a, it's a
0: much more sustainable um, recipe for success. Yeah. With I guess the resilience, mental preparedness, is s the best avenue to actually train that or should that be something completely separate to s
1: Again, I, I like that holistic nature. So I think in a lot of ways, I think the physical aspect of training is the hook and that's how we get people in. Um, you know, Are we then the right people
0: to, I guess, teach them? That method, well,
1: I think, you know, there's different roles, isn't there? Like, I don't think you should be um, trying to be everything to everyone. Jack of all trades never works. No, but... What I think is part of any coaching prof- profession, you need to you need to understand people, and you need to you know need to have a level of empathy, compassion, um, a really good kinesthetic feel for what you do, uh, and all of that to me like that that's all inclusive of that you know physical, mental, emotional, and so the hook is the physical thing. People know they need to get stronger and and prepare better and those sort of things, and they seek out people that that seem to be good at that. Um, But beyond that, it's like, well, then how can we challenge them? How can we use constraint-based learning? How can we make them more adaptable, more
0: resilient um, in a way where it stands up under pressure? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for athletes, they need someone that's been in the arena before. If they go see a psychologist, it might help them a little bit, but they need a coach there that's been out in the field, that's done the hours in the gym. They need that support network from someone that's experienced it before so they can truly believe what they're told. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I've, I've seen
1: sports psychologists, a number of different m- ones before. I've, I've seen, um, you know, I've consulted lots of different experts in the field. And I think that's the key. Like, you need to, you need to source out your own team. No matter where you are in your sport, especially team sport, it's easy to sort of go, well, that's a team physio and that's a team sport site. But coaching is so relationship-based. We talked, I just talked about this a moment ago. And to have that connection, you, you need to both have the skill set and the connection and the experience, right? So um, you know, you once you build that team, that is your team. Like that is not the Glenelg football team where I used to play. Like I had those people and some of those people in the team environment were also my personal team. Yeah. Um, but I've done this way better as a post footy as, as a, um, you know, as an athlete, because you kind of have to, you don't have that provided to you. So it's like, well, who do I want to be my physio? Who do I want to be my sports psych? Who do I want to be my head coach? Like, and how do they all fit together? Like, is this going to be, are these the people that I want to like struggle with while I'm building up? And these are the people that I want to celebrate with when we get there. Um, and that to me is one of the most important things you can do as, as an athlete is to identify who those people are. And they're not all professionals. Like some of them are, you know, they're just your best mates or they're your parents or they're yeah. your siblings. And But they're the people that will be honest with you. They'll invest in you. They'll be there no matter what. You can they're depend going to on be, you win or
0: lose, they're going to be there the next Absolutely. day. Absolutely, yeah.
1: yeah. And they're the best ones to celebrate with, man. Like, because it, it, there is nothing else to it. They're not there to leverage off. They're celebrating
0: for you. They're not celebrating for them. They're celebrating because they're happy yeah. to see you happy. But the, And this is why I love coaching, because we get to share those experiences with our athletes.
1: Yeah. You know, as we, we are part of their team now, yeah. we help build them up. Um,
0: I don't ever like to necessarily ride on an athlete's success no. by no means. No. I just like to see them succeed. Yeah, man. Like, how good is it, like, just... Just celebrating. Like I was
1: in Lox uh, Loxon on the weekend um, with one of our young athletes, uh, you know, playing under-18s grand final for Berry and and like you know you don't know if they're gonna win or lose. But like I went and um, spoke at his old school and he came along and helped me out. Like he volunteered his time and stuff and you know um, and then we rolled up the next day to his game and and you know they won and just those moments like you know just you know when they when you catch each other's gaze when you're in the crowd and he's playing at full back and stuff and there's a little nod of kind of like. You know, it's that sense of, it's not just me. Like, you know, there's a whole team of people behind me that allows me to be out here today and to give my best. And then that moment when they, you know, the siren goes and they've won the game and, you know, it's... You, again, like you said, it's not about... You're not riding anyone's coattails. All you're doing is you're just helping celebrate that person's experience,
0: which they've been generous enough to make you part of. Biggest lesson I learned in business and i push pushed this towards athletes and to coaches you will be successful the day that you are happy with other people's success yeah if you look at someone and just are completely jealous yeah, yeah. in your yeah. field doing good mm-hmm. that's not the way you need to approach it you uh, need to be happy for them because they're building up the industry they're building up other teams yeah. they're building up you so you can build yourself up even yeah. further. yeah yeah I'd, I'd agree with that yeah. now as a father yourself how old's the other one uh, Zendaya is 19 months 19 months yeah so probably not in any kind of sporting year yet, but you never know. I want to know your opinion with participation in youth sport, yeah. And I guess not really scoring a lot of youth sporting competitions. Mm. What's your view on that? Um, like,
1: like again, like my perception of sports evolved over the years. Like when I started out, it was you know I guess it was like everyone else. It was like you want to win the medals and the trophies and be the best and whatever and. To me now, like what what I understand as a sport is, it's this, it's this phenomenal vehicle for learning, for growth, for you know, building relationships, um, for connecting, for you know, it's just, it's a vehicle to teach you about life. Um, in terms of junior sport, like, and it should be an experience. I don't think you should discourage winning or results. Um, I think maybe there's a mistake in in over policing that if you want to say. Um, I just think you know and you, and you do want to reward people that put in effort you don't want to like if someone's doing the extra work well then they they deserve you know something for that like they deserve that reward but um, definitely like it's that balance between cooperation and, and competition and, yeah. um,
0: and I think it's just allowing that to um, come out in a healthy way and you want everyone like. to be involved no doubt but mm if you don't know if you're doing good or bad, what does that teach you? The two right. biggest arguments for me is yeah. if you've won something, but you're not scoring, how do you know that you did well? If you've lost something and you're not yeah. scoring, how do you know that you need to do better next time? And then yeah. additionally learning how to lose. Yeah. Again, yeah, as totally. kids, we can be babysitted. What yeah. happens when you get out to the real world or you become an adult and you do something wrong and you get fired from a job? Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. just go, oh, cool.
1: Completely, completely agree. I just, I think it has been, um, like overpoliced in, in that manner, and that where we're, we're actually, um, I don't know, you, whether you call it robbing children of their experience in terms of their opportunity to learn. Um, and you do you want that constructive feedback? You want to understand about you know how you can how you can be better for this experience. Well, you
0: said resilience is trainable, right? Yeah. How do you learn that? paling well, and pulling down yeah. a few times.
1: You have to. Yeah, absolutely. Like that resilience, adaptability. Like it has to be this the self reliance. you, you You cannot, you say teach it, and what is teaching really, like maybe this is going to be too philosophical, but to me, we help facilitate it. Like if, if it's just us telling someone what it is and how to do it, it doesn't have the same effect. It has to be that experiential learning. And so we're here to set up the framework to allow that to happen. We're here to be the guides, like to be those people with experience that can help just, you know, just, gently give you those little nudges give you that little bit of feedback and input and stuff that's going to allow you to have that experience yourself to, to make your own discovery of what's possible
0: and, and how to do it better mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely and that only comes from like you said experiencing it yourself have to you can't read about failing in a textbook and then go <laughs> I'm going to be ready to fail yeah. no once you know how to lose and then yeah. come back up again that's when you truly learn yeah. how to kick yourself back up yeah and just it's life at the end of the day yeah agreed where do you see S and C heading in South Australia and Australia in the next coming years? It's hard. It's hard to tell. Um, COVID's thrown us banner away. It, it all really has.
1: It's um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe ourselves as purely S and C business anyway. It's just one of the the services we offer, but um, I, I just think it has such a critical role. Like when you talk about sport, and you know, this might seem facetious to to other people in the industry, but like. You know SNC coaches have almost the most face-to-face time if not the second most after the head coach and so I think there has to be two things you, you have to put value on that and you have to understand the impact that it can have too in terms of having the right people and the right systems in place and what I've seen far too much of is this um, this attitude towards it which is it's just this thing that we just have to do and that um, you know you almost see other professions try and take a larger role in in that preparation and um and i think that that buys back into kind of almost ego and status and and things that aren't actually helpful in in fostering success and it's not to say that we should be the the sage or the guide of all things but um i think sports science and and snc because of the amount of time you spend with athletes because of the the systems and the preparation you're putting in place i think you know you need to to value that and understand where it fits in and I think it is a critical part of preparing people for sport and for success and it needs to be rewarded as such that people need to be sort of, um, you know, um, I guess funding's not the right word, but you know, like they need to be remunerated for, for that value that they're offering yep. to allow it to be sustainable, much like you remunerate your head coach um, or any other service provider that's coming into that environment. Do you see that leaning towards more privately owned businesses. business that was actually the thing i was thinking about just as i was finishing that sentence was that it it's funny like I, i've spoken from a club concept but i actually don't spend much time in that environment we we do it privately um and we work with squads and we bring squads into our environment um but i think it comes back to like having the right person the right systems and re- right relationship to make that work you can't just go and pick a professional out of an industry and expect them to to have the same results as what you get with someone else you've got an intimate um, I say intimate but like you know like uh, a closer relationship where you understand each other where um, there is um, I don't know like just a connection a connection around that service and around what you're receiving and how it's tailored to
0: you I think the biggest learning lesson from COVID to me has been the fact that people are still seeking out individualized service where they can Mm. get it. 24-hour gyms convenience gyms will always be there yeah but there are more and more private gyms that are surviving thriving through individualized service even through a damn pandemic yeah and every time they close it's shit. people hate it and yeah. as soon as they reopen those members are loyal to them and come back yeah freaking.
1: and i think this is the thing isn't it like people are people and you know when you really dig deep into what why people play sport it's, it's not the medals. It's not the trophies. Some people, like, they, they get a bit hung up on that. Um, I'm not one of them. I, most times I donate my medals back. Um, it's, it's the people. It's the experience and the people you get to share that experience with. And I don't think um, globalizing those services to be sort of this carbon copy franchisee type thing where it's just like you go to another or anytime fitness or good life or whatever it is is the answer because i don't think it's personal enough no i've got to see daniel next so i've got to see bennett next So absolutely yeah. yeah and and that that there is power in that like
0: there is connection there is you know community and that's the thing that i do this for i enjoy it i really do yeah as much as yet yeah, you could turn around go open up very cheap gym offer the best equipment in the world building a relationship with someone and spending time with them one, two, three, four hours a week, yeah something about that, you learn a lot about them, not just in terms of a sporting sense, but you learn who they are, why they do what they do, what goals they have in life or as an athlete, it doesn't really matter, but you get to genuinely know people and those are the ones that stick around. If you don't build a relationship with someone, they probably won't last for that long. No, it's... Life is relationships, and
1: as soon as you lose sight of that, I think you know you just become another corporate entity, just another money machine, and, and there's no satisfaction in that. Like, if money
0: is your pure gold go for it, but yeah, I like people too so much. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy, yeah, man. Yeah, totally. Where do you see next
1: heading then? You know what? We've, we've discovered we're actually more of a per- personal growth business than we are a strength and conditioning business. So, um, like I said before, like, strength and conditioning, adaptive. You know performance coaching that's something that we offer and it's a great hook to be able to work with people and help foster those other things holistically um, but you know like when I was up again like I was in the Riverland like delivering um, workshops on uh, adaptability and self-care to pro- both like primary school and high school students um, and doing um, athlete and career workshops and I just love that opportunity to to challenge the way people think to, um, ch- like I said, to, to create that environment for experiential learning because I think that's where they're going to get so much more value. Mm-hmm. If they come in and they just you know get handed a program and um and just, like told what to do without actually helping someone understand why they're doing it, I, I don't see very much value in that. And so we don't operate like that. Yeah. We operate in a way which is about trying to develop deliver that value and create an environment for learning. Yeah. Um, and and I know you guys are much much like that as well, and um, and I think that's that's the beauty of it because we can talk authentically about building an industry based on those relationships and
0: connections. You know, it's not competition. I still think there's room for growth. Yeah, there yeah. About totally. five, six, maybe seven, uh, privately owned gyms that opened up around three to four years ago. Yeah, still around. But- oh man, in South Australia, I think there's huge scope for it.
1: people have this like, I think too many people have this mentality of scarcity and I, I just, I don't buy into it. We're in like, the Western suburbs. Yeah. Do you know have any
0: teams that are just in soccer exactly. alone.
1: There is an abundance of people and workouts. You don't need to, to be insecure about whether, you know, you're, you know, you've got other, what, what do you want to call them, competition or other people in the industry around you. I think, how can you support each other to build that? How can you kind of refer people back and forth? How can you operate within your niche and complement someone else in theirs? Yeah. Um. That's that's always been the way uh, or the, the vision that we've tried to work towards like ben and i are often talking about this win 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 um and it's it's a it's a way of thinking which says that you know like it, usually there's going to be three people in a relationship there's going to be let's say it's um you know you, you uh maybe you're doing the physical training maybe i'm doing some mentoring and um yeah uh, some of that sort of mental emotional preparation stuff and then there's the, the the member or the, the, the person on the receiving end of that. And, you know, anytime one of those people is trying to leverage off that relationship, um, the, the whole thing's doomed for failure. But as, as long as we understand that, you know, we, we all need to get something out of that. Um, and that's that's not selfish, I don't think. Like, I think that is just realistic in terms of what, how you can make a system sustainable. It's like, well, yeah. if I'm benefiting, and it could be just benefiting emotionally, it could be financially, it could be whatever it is that drives things for me. And then you're benefiting in a similar way in the way that drives things for you. And then the, the athlete or the, the member is benefiting in their way in what their life goals are and stuff as well. and And that's, that's simple. Like, you know, so that, that's the way we try and operate and um, you know, definitely a values based business and, and sometimes, you know, you, you kick yourself and you think, Am I limiting growth because of that? You know, should we be more Probably. focused on the money? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah.
0: But you know what? At least I can sleep at night. Yeah, and this it's, it's planned
1: the long game. Like it's like, okay, like we could we could churn and burn and we could make some, you know, maybe make some quick money, but I was lucky to have some people that helped shape my view of things earlier on, like in terms of those relationships. And, uh, you know, one of my first jobs in a gym, like the first month or more, like my, my my task was literally to stand at the front door and exchange a membership card for a key door locker and to get to know every single person's name, you know, and just a bit about them, like to build that connection. Um, in a way that when you know you start coaching people, like people know you, like they know whether you're the sort of person they want to work with. But and even if you're not, you know just, they'll say hi in the way by. They'll want to know a little bit about what's going on yeah. in your relationships in your life, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, it was a terrible place to work out. You know, yeah. I could be in there for three and a half hours and barely get through a couple of exercises. But like as a as a community, it's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and, and those those things have definitely shaped the way that I I see sort of you know, our profession and industry.
0: It's become more about good life experiences than, than just building a business to simply make money. Yeah, yeah. You need both, don't get me wrong, but when you focus too much on one and not the other, you start to lose that balance, which people talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Like, even balance,
1: it's a fluid thing. Like, it's, it's never at thing. one extreme. It, it no. can be at
0: one extreme or the other. It's probably never at 50-50. Yeah. And when it is it probably is boring so you have to go to another and when we
1: let go of that like it creates more of that flow and balance so it's just like when you understand that like everything is ongoing everything is constantly changing it's just about how we continue to sort of steady the ship so that we're sort of sailing in the direction we want to head in rather than being taken away by the wind of someone else's sort of influence
0: yeah now i guess for the next few years is next to the goal or do you still have athletic uh aspirations yourself <laughs> relationships with the girl um, you know oh, like we're that. growing a family we've got another one in the way
1: um that's exciting we're trying to build a, a business and, and a community like that that is ultimately what it what it needs to be but also what we want it to be um sport like i mate, i really want to push myself this is probably the longest period of detraining training I've gone through other than my injury um you know with disappointment of not making the team this year and um definitely had to question about sort of those relationships and that experience and where i want to invest time and energy i still absolutely have a burning desire to be an athlete and it's just a matter of how that fits in with life um, and i'm not not 100 sure yet um, I'm, I'm starting to sort of build back into some more training just to sort of feel it out and see where it fits in and um and how i feel about it and i think that's a really important thing like we try and teach our athletes is like to be more aware of how you feel Um, because we don't want to grind anymore. Like, I've done enough grinding in my career, and I don't want to see other people have to unnecessarily go through that. You know, there's time for work, but there's-, there's You I want mean, to see like,
0: them work hard, but you want to see them reap the rewards for their hard yeah, work. Yeah.
1: And but to enjoy that that work as well, it doesn't have to be a grind. It doesn't have to be this thing which you just don't want to get up for. Yeah. Find a way to make it like more enjoyable. Find a way to connect with why you do do it. Yeah. So um,
0: I guess I'm going through that phase again. You, you keep relearning. and. When. Um, yeah. It's not a one-time-in-your-life experience. No. you constantly learn mm-hmm. I like to think I'm still reasonably young at 27 but you realise you're satisfied with something in your life then you realise you want to go on to the next thing yeah. and the next thing and the next thing whether that be relationships, business whatever it may be you realise that not that something's not going to keep you happy the rest of your life if you remain the same some yeah. people can but usually it's not it's funny isn't it like you hear about relationship breakups like oh he, he changed or she changed it's like of course
1: he did but that's the like, point of life it's it's more about how you change together, like, yeah. um, and I, I just feel so like fortunate, like in in my relationship that, that that's what we value. Like we want to grow together, we want to grow a family, we want to learn more, we want to do things differently than what we used to do them, you know, yeah, in a, in a way that serves us better and, and provides more value to those around us. So, yeah.
0: man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, yeah, man, <laughs> I love
1: these chats, and I just love the opportunity to sort of catch up so I uh, appreciate you inviting me on
0: nah man it's been awesome having you on very very insightful um, honestly I've learned a lot today I hope everyone listening at home has <laughs> today where can they find you on the socials man?
1: yeah so m- me personally like I'm not on a lot of social media you can um, you can grab me at LinkedIn um, so uh, I'm, I'm on there both uh, our business is on there as well next to the sports performance um, you can find the business on all the common stuff like your Facebook, Instagram um, as well, uh, YouTube. Um, and then, yeah, like, um, you know, I'm on on Telegram. I use that a little bit of stuff as well, but mainly just catch me face to face. Flick me an email or a like text. That, yeah. uh, we're out at Port Adelaide. So, yeah, we're operating. I mean, we, we do um, stuff off site as well. We've got a, um, a hub down at Seaview as well. But, um, yeah, spend a lot of our time in, in that Port Adelaide sort of and
0: surrounding suburbs. Yeah. yeah. Guys, if you got any benefit from today's podcast, please give it a five-star review and share it on Instagram, Facebook, or wherever you can. Daniel, until next time, we're going to be keeping up to date, brother. Thank you. Thanks. See you later, guys.